Welcome to episode 9 of the Outfield Podcast. So great to be with you again during this global pandemic to give you something to distract yourself from the horrible news of the day because there is good news to talk about and we have one of the bringers of the good news on the show, Matt Lynch, former assistant at Youngstown State, Miami of Ohio, most recently at UNC Wilmington, assistant basketball coach. Really an amazing story of him coming out, telling his journey, includes incredibly profound stories, incredibly profound wisdom on the coming out process and being gay in the sport of basketball and beyond. He's an incredible guy. This is his first podcast interview, so very excited to have Matt Lidge join episode nine of the Outfield Podcast. Episode 9 of the Outfield Podcast, the second in the social distancing series. Amazingly, I've been able to get two of these out in this time period when I went months in a time when there was no social distancing and life was somewhat comparatively normal. Strange. But we have an amazing guest here today for Episode 9, Matt Lynch, former coach at many different colleges, including most recently UNC Wilmington, former assistant basketball coach. He came out publicly. We're recording this on Tuesday, April the 7th came out last Friday. So this is obviously the quickest turnaround I've ever had somebody on the show since they came out publicly. Welcome to the show, Matt. First of all, congratulations, of course. I appreciate appreciate it. Thank you for having me. How are you spending your life during this apocalypse? Um, I am currently in Erie, Pennsylvania with my family, and uh, we are all kind of cooped up in the house, uh, isolating together and uh, just trying to make the best of it. Well, all of us are kind of cooping up with our families and trying not to kill each other. Yep. Maybe that's just my family. Yep, that's us too. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. But uh, you held up comparatively well, all things considered? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, just now I've only been up here uh, actually since Friday. Um, I had spent the majority of the uh, time in Wilmington at first. And then uh, just kind of with the Easter holiday coming up, I wanted to drive up here and be with the fam. I'm sure you didn't run into any traffic. I did not. No, I was uh, really careful to make sure that I, when I would stop for gas, uh, to uh, you know be safe about it. But no, it was a it was an easy, easy eleven hour drive. Not as easy to social distance when you're having gas in New Jersey because people give it to you. <laughs> I, can't, I can't really comment to that, but yeah. Well, that's a New Jersey thing. There are lots of New Jersey things that are. Uh amusing even in these times when uh things are very horrible in new jersey with a tragic number of deaths you can still make fun of the state as i always have to uh i want to ask firstly uh what have the last three days been like for you they have been really really positive um and i'm very blessed for that a little overwhelming at times but for all the right reasons um i I was happy with the article, and I really appreciate Jim at Outsports helping me put all that together. And a lot of people have seen it. A lot of people who have reached out, um, whether it was through Instagram or Twitter or even just my email. And amazing to hear um, kind of I went out and told my story, but amazing to hear, hear all the all the additional stories that kind of come along with it um, and just how everybody can relate. 
um, in some form or fashion to it. And uh, it makes the world feel a lot smaller than what it really is. Mm -hmm. We're going to get a lot more into that later. I like to always start with asking people about their family life, where they grew up, what their childhood was like. So I'll start with that with you. You're only a couple years okay. older than me, so you've kind of had maybe somewhat similar experiences. But tell everyone a little bit about your family life, where you grew up, family dynamics, things of that nature. Okay. Um, I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania, which is uh, in the top northwest part of the state. And we're right on Lake Erie. And um, we're about, well, it's a unique spot because you're about 20 minutes east or west from New York on one side and Ohio on another side. Um, I've spent so much time in Cleveland. It's the closest really, uh, it's the closest big city to us that a lot of my uh, friends and colleagues actually think I'm from there. Um, but I'm, I'm a, from PA and uh Grew up with uh, in a great family. My my dad, mom, brother and sister. Uh, older sister, she's a school teacher, and a younger brother, who is a uh, works at a high school in uh, athletic facilities and coaches uh, high school basketball. Um, my mom kind of raised the family, and she's the uh, the glue that holds us all together. And my dad has owned his own business for a long time, and he's actually getting close here to retirement at the end of the year, and we're all really excited for that. Um, we're a really, really close family. Uh, we kind of we spend a lot of time to be with each other and are constantly uh, going on vacations and things like that even now. And uh, I'm, I'm just blessed to have those four in my life. I mean, they... I always say, especially to my younger brother, that I'm just a product of, of my environment. And um, I truthfully believe that I have such great people around me. And that's uh, been a key to me being successful thus far in my career. So that family, very important, obviously, as it is to all of us. And how much did it help you inspire you to get to where you were in terms of, uh, in terms of loving basketball and end up coaching basketball? Um, they played a huge role. Um, my dad played high school basketball and then went on to play division two basketball at the, uh, university of Indiana, university of Pennsylvania, um, just IUP here and, uh, was a successful player for them. And I played high school basketball as did my brother who also played college basketball. Um, and it's just been, it's been something that's always tied our family together whether it was in the summer going to AAU tournament games and things like that. And I can, I can remember as far back as my dad kind of played in like a rec league when I was younger. And, you know, on Wednesday nights, he would, he would go up to the local gym and he was on a team and they would play organized basketball, rec league basketball. And I just can still remember us bothering him to uh, take us with him. And as kids, and it wasn't necessarily to watch, it was more to run around the facility and goof around, but it was just, it was just everything we've always done has been tied around the sport. And, um, it's just been really just a love of our entire family. Was it the first sport and the only sport, or was it the first of many sports? Um, th there was multiple sports, but it was the main sport. Um, you know, even my sister was a, is a, uh, She's the head cheerleading coach uh, at a college for um, 
for basketball and for football, but we played a little bit of every sport, anything from soccer, football, uh, baseball, volleyball. Um, we've, we're definitely a, a sports style family, um, but basketball takes the cake uh, by far. I never think of Erie as a hotspot of basketball. Maybe I was wrong. Yeah, it's not. A, you know, we we've definitely had a, our fair share of talented players to come out of here, but that's that's not the main name. I mean, the the main the main the the athlete that I think of first that comes to mind would be James Conner with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I uh, both attended McDowell High School, and. Uh, you know, it's not it's not bad basketball by any means, and I would even go as far as saying it's it's up and coming. It's it's getting better. They uh, the two main high schools in the area are uh, Cathedral Prep and McDowell, and they both have two great head coaches, and both of those programs have bright bright futures, and I'm just excited to see where those guys go. I do think of Western Pennsylvania as definitely football centric. I mean, maybe that's yeah, definitely. That's, that's not wrong. I mean, it, 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 it makes sense, and that's been the case forever. I mean, I think of eastern Pennsylvania because that's closer to where I live, but it's still, the, it's still the, technically the same state. So for you, for sure. you grow up, how do you end up coming to grips with your sexuality before you start saying, okay, I know I'm gay, and now what do I have to do next? But as you're growing up, how do you come to terms with that? Uh, as in, when did I realize and things like that? How does that evolve after you realize it and you understand what were those formative years like for you and understanding that you are gay? Um, you know, I, I think I, I think I always knew, um, I probably really started to realize that there was a major difference in sixth or seventh grade, you know, some are just like so many, uh, of us, you know, a lot of my friends were interested in girls and um, talking about girls and everything like that. And that was just never th- anything that really even crossed my mind. And then kind of through that, it just, it just became more and more clear. Um, but just with being so involved in sports, um, you know, not, not at all for a, a loving home, you know, like the, the home life had nothing to do with it. It was just, I don't know why, but, um, built up a, a homophobia against it myself and just, you know, didn't, you know, went through the struggle that I think we all go through of just like, I didn't want to want it to be that way. Um, I wanted it to change. I just wanted to be at the time, you know, how I thought normal and straight was normal. And, um, you know, it was, a really a long process and it's, and it's an ongoing process that you just have to, Everybody, you know, everybody has a journey and um, everyone's journey takes different time and different avenues. And it's just it's something that you have to go through day by day. And I don't know if I answered that correctly or well, not. You did, what, you did what I think a lot of people are saying is I, I didn't know because did, in your case, did you just not know anyone? And I mean, again, in certain communities, you might not know anybody. Who's gay? Yeah. Not have anybody who you could even like. Did you know anybody? Not necessarily in sports, but outside of sports. Did you know anybody when you were younger that was gay that you could look up uh, to, or was it just yeah. on your own? Yeah. I mean, as I as you go through school, there was a couple guys that that were definitely gay and out even um, as you're going through school, and some of those guys are 
you know, more of the flamboyant style. And I would just, you know, I could see what they would go through on a day-to-day basis. And there's, you know, they're just like, there's multiple versions of anything. There is multiple versions of being gay and, and different ways of being gay. And some, some guys act really masculine or straight. And some guys ask, act really, um, you know, flamboyant and it's, it's different for everyone. And just, I didn't have any quote unquote role models or, or people that I wanted to reach out to or even model my life after. I hadn't seen anyone, you know, in my life that it was like, okay, you know, this, that person looks like me and talks like me and, and I can see myself, see my life heading in that direction. There just wasn't any, anyone here. It's a, it's a decent sized city, but it's not huge by any means. And, you know, it just, it was, it was difficult to kind of go through. Well, I I can tell you that it happens the same thing for me. You see kids who were either out or everyone knew what was going on. And we called them theater kids because they were involved in musical theater. And I was involved in sports. They were two diametrically opposed worlds. They coexisted as in they existed in their own spaces and nobody really crossed over because that's just not what happened. And I said, well, I'm not like that. And I'm assuming that that's probably what went through your head, too. You said, well, that's not who I am. Because when you're younger and when you don't have role models and we don't, you know, when we were younger, we didn't have what we have now in 2020 with people who are like us, you know, right. more projected straight. We'll get into those dicey terms later and how you can, I don't want to say conflate, but how we go about talking about our own experiences in that way. You didn't have anybody like, well, us now to look up to. And then when you see kids like, that presumably were they bullied pretty heavily or was it was they weren't obviously you know they're not the quote-unquote popular kids probably in in those experiences yeah it's uh you know i i think that they kind of had their group of friends and usually their group of friends was majority girls um but there was moments uh, there was no to, to me, and uh, you know, there was no major, major moments of bullying or anything. There was, there was kids being kids at time, um, but, but yeah, they, they, the theater kid definition, I, I think, is a great way of putting it, and that is exactly kind of how it was. Is just that that there was just nobody in sports. There was nobody that was doing the things that I like to do, but also was gay. And that's the. Uh... I guess that was the tricky thing, and you hear it in so many stories. This is not unique, and I think that's it's for kids who grow up in a certain time as we did. Again, you're only a few years older than me, so the world wasn't all that different for us in middle school and high school. You didn't have examples of that, and the gay people you saw, you would go, "That's I don't jive with that. That doesn't, you know, they don't fit together." Things like that, and so. For you then, as you take your steps, as you're playing sports, but you kind of have an idea of your sexuality, and then you get into coaching. Almost, right. almost immediately, you get into coaching when you leave high school and you go to college. What yeah. was the connection to coaching for you that made it so immediate? Because for so many people, you know, they'll play and then they'll scout or they'll do other things before they get into coaching. For you, you play in high school, and the minute you go to college, you're coaching. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the, the simplest answer and the main answer is I just wasn't a very good player. Um, you know, <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's just, that's, that's just the main way to put it. I, I, uh, I couldn't hoop 
And so like those who can't hoop coach. And, um, you know, I just, how does that saying go? Those who play, those who can't play, is it like those who can't play coach? I've heard there's, there's some funny way of putting it. I don't remember how it exactly goes. Yeah. I've heard a couple different variations. The other one is about teaching and it's like, you know, those who can't teach, teach gym. And like those, you know, those who can't play teach and those who can't teach coach. I think that's how it goes. Yeah. 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 And so, so I, I got, I got to, school to school and, you know, school, as I kind of wrote, wrote in my article, the, uh, yeah, the impact that my high school, school coach had on me was just, just was major. And I just, I just knew that, you know, being a part of a team was something that I want, always wanted to be doing. And it's, and it really, you know, I'm 29, there, there is, hasn't been a year in my life that I haven't been a part of some team. And so, um, I got to school and I was just kind of trying to find my way. And at the time, my coach from high school went and he got another head coaching job at a different high school, um, not far from the university. And uh, I reached out to him and immediately uh, we, we kind of started talking about getting together to coach. And he offered me an opportunity to come out there and be on his staff. And I was lucky for it. You know, I was, I was really lucky because I was, I was a freshman in college and he was giving me an opportunity to coach JV and varsity basketball. Um, and I was young, you know, I was, I was 18, 19 year olds and, and coaching some, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. And so it was just a great experience from the jump. And then as we kind of went through that process a little bit, he asked me, um, do, do I want to coach high school or do I want to coach college long-term? And, and I've always known like college, you know, I wanted to, there's, I've always had the dream of the NCAA tournament and being in the tournament and printing out that bracket and being able to write my team's name in the, into the next line. And that's uh, always been like a, a driving force in the back of my head. And he's like, okay, well, if, if you want to coach college, then you need to be at the college level. And he actually played at Edinburgh University where uh, I was attending school. And between him and a couple other connections that I made, um, they tried to get me set up with Edinburgh as a student assistant. And the one thing about being at the Division II level, which is different than a Division I level, is the D2 level, they actually will – that you can get hired as a student assistant at the time. And they would, they would pay you a little bit of money and they would allow you to coach. They would allow you to recruit. They would allow you to scout. They would allow you to do all those things. You got to wear a bunch of different hats. And, uh, whereas a manager at the division one level, you were really going to just be like rebounding and doing the off the court duties, which are still ultra, ultra important. Um, but just different. And we're playing in those like, those manager tournaments you see, right? The ones yeah. that Jules organizes, those kinds of things? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong path. You know, they're all, it's all valuable experience. But uh, he, he, they kind of reached out to the coaching staff that it was at Edinburgh. And really at the time, they just weren't interested in adding a student assistant. And so I, I kind of went to work all of my freshman year as I was coaching high school um, of reaching out to other college coaches. And I actually, I actually got linked up with Ron Ryder at um, Clarion University. And I was 
trying to go to Clarion, which is in the same league, the PSAC, as Edinburgh. And I was trying to go there and be a student assistant there. And he was more than happy to take me. I uh, wanted the help, needed the help. And kind of out of the blue, um, I got a phone call from one of the assistants at Edinburgh. And they said, you know, Matt, will you come? This is after the season has ended. Matt, would you would you come back in and, and meet with the head coach who was uh, Coach Greg Kowalkovich? And so I came in to meet with him. And uh, I guess just through all of my buddies, all of my friends were the guys on the basketball team. And just through that process, uh, I was always in the gym. Like I wasn't working for the team, but I was still in the gym with them. Whether we were playing, whether I was rebounding for them, whether I was doing you know anything I could to help them get better, um, I was in the gym. And I think that the coaching staff just kind of saw that. They saw that I was there, even though they didn't want me uh, to be on staff that first year, they saw that I was serious about it. And so then they actually extended me an invite to uh, come and be a student assistant with them my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And um, it just, it started slow, you know, not a lot of responsibility. And then in time, like, you know, you, you just earn those guys respect and you get to do more and more. And then by my senior year, I was, I was getting to go, whether it was on a recruiting trip I was getting to, um, you know, go scout opponents live and in person, trying to get play calls and whatnot. And um, it just kind of took off from there. But it was uh, it was an unbelievable experience. And um, it kind of solidified, you know, I would be in the gym. I'd go to class, go to the gym, go to class, go to the gym, eat lunch, go back to the gym. I just I just love being in the gym. And um, just through that process, I knew like, yep, this is the right field like this is where i'm supposed to be so i heard you mention that in d2 because i did a lot of play my play in d3 uh, which is no scholarships but d2 obviously there are scholarships i heard you mention even as a student you can get paid as a student assistant. Right. so right. you can get paid as a student assistant for coaching but the players can't get paid in d2 or i mean again i just had to point that out because it was very i it's little ironies and vagaries of the ncaa i just got through watching the uh, the christian dawkins documentary on uh, what happened with you know the paying the players and all that and i just got through reading some silly comments from a college football coach that were kind of dumb so that's why it's on my mind just made me chuckle a little bit yeah uh, yeah it's a uh it's an ongoing issue that they're gonna have to resolve one way or another it, it, it is definitely an ongoing issue and uh i don't know i we i thought we were gonna get closer to a resolution and then you know the world shut down but we will continue on from there see so you, you spend all of your college life coaching as a student assistant at Edinburgh and then you start taking steps up even further from there and I believe then it goes to Miami of Ohio next it does it does so how does that happen um, so I graduate and uh, I got my uh, bachelor's in education and so I have all my certifications to go on to to be a teacher but I I got a degree because I'm supposed to get a degree. And so that's what I did. Um, you know, the coaching and teaching are very similar in a lot of ways. And so I just think figured that that was a good uh, degree path to choose. Um, but, you know, I kind of, we graduated and moved back home, which Erie to Edinburgh is 20 minutes. So that's not a big move, but um, come back home. And I kind of had my, my parents looking at me like, okay, are you, are you going to start applying for teaching jobs? 
And uh, no, no, I'm not. I'm, I, I want to coach college basketball. And my dad is one of the most intelligent people out there. And uh, he, he just knows he gives me great advice even to this day. And he, he breaks it down and gives me all the stats of, you know, there's 353 Division One schools, and that means that there's 353 Division One head coaches, and then they each get these assistants. And even at that time, like, the operations role wasn't solidified. And, um, and obviously, it's just a tough, it's a tough, tough business to break into. It's a tough business to stay in. And, you know, it, I, I understood why he was urging me to go look in another direction. Um, but I didn't, I knew, you know, I always have known. And so, uh, I just literally started applying to every job that would get posted men's job, women's job, division one, division two, division three, and IA junior college. If it got posted, I applied for it. Where do you look for those jobs? Now looking back, yeah, there's there's a few different sites. Um, there is the NCAA marketplace is one one site. There is a uh, higher ed jobs is another place, and then there's a a website called Hoop Dirt, and Hoop Dirt is uh, is an unbelievable resource um, where they they post jobs, they post who's going where, who's taking what job, who's on what staff, and they um, it's all about connections and obviously the the people who run the hoop dirt site are heavily connected throughout the college basketball world website called football scoop unbelievable connections with football coaching in places you've never heard of before i think that hoop dirt i guess is basically the same thing just for college basketball yeah yeah and uh like they're gonna hoop dirt can tell you who's taken what job before it ever gets you know put out publicly and so what you do is you use that as a you use that site as a tool to connect the dots, and that's part of getting a job is you've got to be able to connect the dots um, before they're there. You know, it's it, it's that type of business. It's a weird business in that sense that you've got to be like, okay, this coach has taken this job, and you know who do I know that might know that coach, and you might not know nobody directly. So then it's like, okay, who do I know? that they might know somebody that then knows the coach and, you know, you have to work those avenues. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, you know, I, I was 21 years old and I don't know any of that. And looking back, I wasted a ton and ton of time applying for jobs that I had no right applying for, you know, from the division one assistants to ops guys to, you know, head coach of a junior college, like, you know, I'm, I'm fresh out. And so, I, I was wasting a lot of time, but it, it got to the point that I think I had my first hundred schools that I applied to were all rejections. And then before I hit 110, I started to get some interest. But at this point, I was I was all but working for working for free. Um, and then it got to late in the year. And side note, I, w I would work summer camps all the time. Any summer camp, any basketball summer camp for any school, I would work it. Um, and so it got to late, late in the year, and I had applied for a job at Miami, Ohio. And the new coach at Miami, Ohio was Cleve Wright. He was most recently the coach at Gannon University, which is right in Erie, Pennsylvania. 
Um, and so he had been ultra successful here. He was the women's basketball coach at Gannon, taking the women's job at Miami. And I had uh, Gannon and Edinburgh were kind of rivals. And I had never met Coach Wright personally, but I knew a bunch of people that knew him. And so I would call everybody. I mean, I make I make the joke that I had everybody call him and say my name outside of everybody than maybe his mother um, called him. And and I kind of lived by especially I still do it now, but I lived by at a young age that you were going to know my name. You you might be a little annoyed from hearing my name, but there was no way that I was going to apply for a job and you were going to be like, who is this Matt Lynch kid? Like you, you were going to know me. Now you were going to, it might get to the point that you called me and be like, Hey, stop calling. Like, but either way, I wasn't going to go down uh, without, without you knowing my name. And so it got to September. And while we're in September, I had three job offers on the, on the table. I had a D three men's job and it paid a, a salary of $1,800 for the year. That was it. That wasn't a, that wasn't a monthly salary. That was $1,800. Um, I could qualify for minimum wage. Uh, it does not No, but it was okay. considered a, a, a part-time job. Uh, sneaky. And, sneaky. Yeah. And then, uh, I had a job offer from impact basketball Academy out in Las Vegas. And that job didn't pay you anything, but they would give you room and board. And then I just kind of hanged on to this Miami thing. The, uh, the job got posted in, I want to say late May. And I, I, I applied for it. Like I said, on the day it came out, um, you know, that's when I applied and I started working on it and, uh, it applied and it was the video coordinator job. And so, you know, me not knowing the process of these things, Things. You know, a head coach at the Division One level, they take a job and then they hire their assistants first and then their operations. And then from there, they work to video GAs, anything else. And so uh, he was just named, you know, in early or uh, probably late April, the head coach there at Miami. And uh, in g- getting to know Coach Wright, he's a great basketball mind, great guy but he does not make decisions quickly. Like that is not Uh-oh. his forte. I can see where this is going. Right. And so I just tried to try to get into his ear and just, just try and hang on. And so I just, you know, I didn't have a job. And so I'm hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. And, uh, he's not making a decision and not making a decision. And I'm finding more and more people to call him. I'm connecting more and more dots. You know, I know this coach, this high school coach, and they would always practice in Gannon's gym and he knows them. And so I'm going to have him call him. And I, I worked this camp and, and this uh, women's coach that I worked the camp with played against him a year ago. So I'm going to have her call him. And uh, finally we, we kind of got to uh, August, end of August, early six, September. And uh, I did get a phone call and that he was going to bring me down for an interview. And so um, I go down to Oxford, Ohio. If you don't know where that is, I'd have to take you there to get you there. I think there's like three lights in the whole place. And uh, beautiful, beautiful campus, though. And action. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Hashtag Maction. Hashtag love and honor. That is uh, that's kind of their mantra. And uh, uh, the difference between Tuesday night football and Tuesday night basketball. In the, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. And uh, I, I went down 
and went through the interview. Um, it, it was like really my first, you know, real interview that I've ever had and, um, kind of went through the process. And then at the end of the interview, uh, coach Wright told me, he's like, Hey, I, I need a couple weeks to think about it. And here I am like, coach, like you've had months to think about this. Like, you know, let's, let's just, just tell me, tell me something good. And, uh, he did, he took probably another week or two and, uh, called me and, uh, eventually he played, played with me a little bit over the phone, but then eventually offered me the job. And I just, the big thing I remember about it was he called me during my fantasy football draft and my team was at the time was absolutely terrible because I didn't even you know, I didn't even draft my team because I was so worried about this phone call. So you put it on auto draft, but at a point during the auto draft, you didn't care anymore. Yeah, yeah, I let it go. Okay, and, yeah. uh, let's see how that goes. That's the best excuse to auto draft I've ever heard, though. Yeah, and I was awful, and my team was awful, and it was, but I didn't care. I, I had a job. I was in college basketball, and um, you know, I I can't say enough about Coach Wright. He he hired a a young kid right out of school that had no coaching experience, no women's basketball experience and no video experience to come work for him. And, uh, you know, that first job is, is always the toughest to get, but he gave me the opportunity and, uh, it was, uh, it was amazing. So what year is that? That is 2013, end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Okay. So, you also mentioned something interesting in your story about connections and how you yep. build those connections. I want to I get to that before we turn back to your sexuality because the connections thing is interesting because in my business and all businesses, particularly ones that have no unique linear job path, it's all about connections. And you talk about making those connections. I don't want to even guess the number of people you talk to at that stage when you're between graduating and getting a job in September. It would have to be in the hundreds, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely. Those, anybody that would talk to me. Yeah, well, anybody that would talk to you, and there has to be, what, hundreds more who wouldn't? Right. So that's – but the way that you build that up, and that kind of lets your guard down a little bit in terms of having to talk to all these people. And, I mean, eventually you get good at it, and that, that means after you've got the first job, it's a lot easier to do it after you've gotten the first job. Uh, yes and no. There was, you know – there was one other major thing that was kind of going on there. And that was that I had gotten a job and I'd gotten into college basketball, but I was on the women's side and it, it's not that I'm against the women's side or anything like that. But the, the, at first the main goal when setting out was to get to the men's side and the men's NCAA tournament. And so there is a big difference between the two games as far as the profession goes. And just because you're in one doesn't mean that you're in the other. This is, this is definitely true, although I come from a school where both uh, teams are pretty dang good. So, well, one, usually the women are better than the men. This was one year where they were actually mildly comparable. That's Maryland, yeah. which is a shame because they both could have probably at least done really good things this year, and that's going to be something I'm going to miss uh, yeah. this year particularly because both the teams were dominantly just awesome. Uh, which which made me sad, but when you talk about though, you also mentioned at this point when you talk about your sexuality, this is one of those things that I focused on in my life because the crush and the push to get play by play and to get into sports media 
you don't think about anything else. Right. The job is all encompassing. And for you, you talk about going 10 years of just kind of putting it aside and putting your sexuality in the back of your head. And when you describe that story of getting those student assistant jobs and then trying to just get your first job out of school, I mean, that's all encompassing every single day. You don't think about your sexuality. And once you're in it, you know, in that world, in that basketball world, and you talked about for those months from October to March, basically, there's nothing else you're thinking about. And I want to get to the point you made after in a second, but was that was partially what was going on. Your sexuality, you had your questions for yourself about what, where am I, where do I fit in, how do I fit in? But is it true that for you, you ended up putting almost all of it aside because you just were just trying to get a job and this such was uh, all encompassing? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was. And I was, you know, I was kind of just getting lost in the process of basketball mm-hmm. that that was working out for me. And, and also on, on the other side, I had at this point, you know, naively made the decision that, like, I'm just going to keep this to myself. I'm just I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to do anything with it and kind of back to the article. I'm going to just die with the lie. Like I'm, I'm going to keep this thing quiet. And that's, that's just what I'm going to do. I have and never that's heard anybody put it. So I don't want to use the word pithy cause that's probably not the right word, but succinctly, I've never heard somebody put it so succinctly. And I'm sure that I have heard stories that are almost not identical, but close to this. And people are saying the same thing, but die with the lie is probably the, the best in air quotes way to put that. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. I wish it was under better terms, but but yeah, that is a uh, that's kind of what I would say to myself. And um, you know, it was it was not an easy process, um, obviously. But it's uh, it was it was just something that I was gonna just at the time I, I was gonna tr- I was gonna try. I was gonna do it. Actually, I wasn't gonna try. It's just it's this is I was stupid enough to think that this is just how I could do this thing. And um, so now I have to ask what caused that to change? What was was there a moment or was there a series of moments, whether it be with basketball or outside of basketball, that caused that mindset to change? Um, I think definitely there was some maturing um, and like maturing about what's important in life and, you know, all of that. And then also like some realization started to, to set in that, you know, we would get to the month of March, as I said in my article, and like then when basketball wasn't there, like you couldn't help but start to focus on the things that were there. They would like you would sweep those feelings, those thoughts under the rug and they would come back. And so, you know, 10 years is a long time. And year after year, even during the early years, they would even during the Edinburgh years, like those feelings would come back up. Those thoughts would come back up and it it just got exhausting to continue to just try and sweep them under the, the rug. And I would I would go into to depression and not know how to deal with it. And time heals all time was the only thing that got me through it. Um, but but I would just say that at, at the end of the day. You know, it was the fact that real life would start to set in. And and as I, as I was saying, maturity, like I I grew out of a, a lot of phases that I was going through when I was younger. I think we all go through that, especially with this process, because 
everyone has a has a moment where they think, you know, they can hide it or it's not something that you could focus on and then until it is. You know, there's a there's a moment in time when it just becomes such that you can't help but think about it. It's all the time. It becomes all encompassing, even in a world when you thought you could compartmentalize it. It's not something you can compartmentalize forever. Uh, is there one moment where you then said, "I'm not going to do this anymore," or was it one of those situations where it accumulately built to a point where I have to do something about this? What was the trigger for you? Yeah, there, to get out of the there, get out of the mindset that you were in. There wasn't a there wasn't a one significant moment. I don't think that like it just happened. It was just like, you know, it it was just the the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. And the the living alone but being a college basketball coach and the living of a lie versus being a college basketball coach, like it wasn't it just the the dream and the passion that I had early on started to get replaced by you know, being true to who I am and being myself and the idea of having a family and the idea of leaving a legacy and the idea, the idea of having children and, and doing, you know, doing that sort of thing with your life. And it just brought me to the point that I, I slowly started to decide that, like, if I don't know if I will be able to coach, but I'm going to um, I'm going to see if I can do both. I'm going to try and tell my secret and try and try and do both. So and, uh, that's go ahead. Yeah. Who was the first person you told? Um, was one of my best friends from Edinburgh. Her name is Lauren and, uh, we are still tight today. I, I had a, uh, virtual happy hour with her the other night and, uh, she, she like, she was really, really receptive and ultra ultra supportive and uh at the end of the day her and i have a special relationship and she just wanted me to be, wanted me to be happy back at edinburgh and still wants me to be happy now 10 years later so you go from one then to two then to three it becomes a little bit easier every time you get to do this but you, you mentioned specifically in your piece about a coach there's the first person you told in the coaching profession there's one thing to tell family and friends and there's others to talk about it in your own work Right, especially in the sports space. Right. In your case for coaching, I, at the time, I don't know exactly when this happened, but I can't think of any coaches off the top of my head that I mean, particularly in men's college basketball. Women's is different, yeah. but in, in men's college basketball, I can't think of any off the top of my head. So you told this coach, you nicknamed the duo, which was which is interesting. Uh, so yeah. what was that conversation like for you? Because that's the one where it goes into a different kind of territory because that's when the one when you start to ask the questions is, is my professional life at stake? You know, personal life is one thing, but in a, in a world like sports where you don't know what your professional life could be, you know, where it could go next, especially in coaching where things change every 10 minutes. What was that conversation like for you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. It, uh, it was all built off of relationships and um, for anyone listening that is considering coming out or considering telling someone, I would, I would really, really make the suggestion of like whoever you tell, like you should, you should really have a great sense of the relationship that you have with that person. And uh, this coach, I, I have no problem naming him and, and he has no problem with me naming him. His name is uh, Rob Burke and he was an assistant at 
UNC Wilmington with me, um, you know, we just, we had an unbelievable relationship. He started as the director of basketball operations there, and I was the video coordinator there. And we were in the same office together. We referred to it as the dungeon because it was an office uh, underneath a staircase and, uh, you know, not great lighting, anything like that. Like as, as dark of an office as you could imagine, but uh, we just embraced it. And uh, through time, we, we turned that office, we, we added a couch, we added a TV, we got a fridge. I mean, it became the hot spot for our team. And you just, with him and I, it was honestly, if you've seen the movie Step Brothers, it was, it was a Step Brothers moment of like, did we just become best friends? And um, we, we would goof around, we would work really hard. Um, he, he loved to be in the gym. He was one of the first people I've ever met that loved to be in the gym the way that I love to be in the gym. And um, another major part of our relationship was the first year he was uh, the director of ops, his family still lived um, in Georgia where his last job was. And um, they, they were allowing their daughter to finish up some school. And so they lived one year apart, which he would go back on the weekends. But so Monday through Friday, he was he was always there. And so we just we would we'd stay. We'd get the office at eight in the morning and we'd stay to the office at 10 at night. And that just allowed us to build this this relationship. Um, and we were just always together. He was we just have the same mindset about it. Like it's about the guys and it's about the experience. He, he played college basketball um, for his father and just had an unbelievable college experience. And then with me, I had an unbelievable experience coaching it. And we just, we both just had a, a unlimited love for the game. And so we would just stay there and just try and get better, try and work, try and have fun. And through, through our three seasons together at Wilmington, um, it just, eventually his family moved to Wilmington and they, they, they pulled me in. Um, they made me feel a part of part of their family and I just it just turned so quickly from a co-worker to a friend that um, you know I think we spent so much time together that he, he probably even knew um, before I told him he will tell you that he knew from the day he met me but uh, you have to get to know him to understand that that side of his personality he's he's never been wrong in his life and he knows everything um, but he he's been around me in social settings, whether it be at bars or, um, you know, on the road or anything where we would be around uh, some women and they might, you know, show an interest in me. But I, I never really kind of reciprocated that interest. And I think that he he'd like I keep talking about connecting the dots. He started to probably connect those dots. And, um, you know, it, it got to the point that I just I knew he knew or I knew he had an idea at least, some suspicions, and I just wanted to get it out there to him. Um, and so we did. We, we went and met for a beer, and, um, you know, he, he's a giant goofball, and uh, we had a couple beers. We were just kind of shooting shit, and um, eventually I, I go into my phone where I had something just, like, typed up on my phone that explained it all out and, in a better way. I would have messed it up if I tried to just talk it. And, uh, 
I slid my phone over to him and I asked him to read it. He did. And as he was reading it, he just started smiling, um, got up, had some tears in his eyes and came over, gave me a hug. Uh, we embraced for a second and then uh, we, we stopped hugging. I turned to kind of like go sit back down and he smacks me on the ass and says, you probably like that, don't you? And we yeah, both. That, that might be like when I saw that, I like I laughed because yeah. it's one of those moments where you're like, you know, it, it, if you read it out of context, you go, wait a second. But in context, you go, OK, that's probably the most disarming thing you could see or right. the most disarming things that could happen. Right. If you have a relationship like that, as you've been describing, I mean, that probably was the moment was just a giant exhale. Yeah, it and it definitely was. Like you, you know, you were asking for a trigger. That that could have probably been it, because uh, you know he's he is a he is a goofy guy, and we like I said, we work hard, we play hard, we have fun, and he he just sits back down. And one of the other things we would do is we would go work out every morning. And uh, we work out right there in, in the uh, weight room and then walk down to the coach's locker room and we'd shower and then go down to the dungeon, dungeon and go on about our day. And uh, we, so he smacks me in the butt and we both start laughing and we both, both sit down and, and he's like, work out. But like when, uh, when we get done, like I don't want you over there looking at this 232-pound body. Like this, none of this is for you. And uh, we just – we continued to laugh and – um, it just by him joking about it like that, it normalized it so much for me. And um, it just gave me a lot of confidence that I could I could be open with him and I could I could tell him anything that I needed to tell him. And uh, it gave me it gave me support. And uh, from there, it just grew that. I mean, he, he probably started the fire if anybody did. And uh, from there, it just kind of I, I ran with it. So that's a fascinating story, and every coming out story, as you said, is different, and this one is very different than many others you hear because it is so personal, and it is so, you know, it's one of those things where there are moments, and they build on moments, but this is one it's like, you have, you can describe almost every detail what's happened because it's longer than a moment. It's a series of things that are happening, and that then I yeah. would imagine pushes you to start telling players who you also have an incredibly deep relationship with, you Again, when you talk about coaches with bat, with basketball players, you think like, oh, you see them all the time. You see them more than all the time, basically, not just during the season, but every day you're in contact with them. So these, you know everything about each other except for this. So you also go into talking about coming out to players, and that's another step entirely. So what was yep. that like as you did it the first time and then multiple times after that? Um, it was, uh, you know, it's it, it all with me. It, as you get to know me, it all goes back to the relationships. Like I said, that's why I got in. And, uh, you know, him and I, Coach Burke and I, having that office together, the dungeon, and us turning it into, we wanted it to be such a player-friendly space. And so it, it did. It became that. I mean, it was to the point that our athletic director came over a couple times, and I would have six or seven players in there, and, you know, two managers, Coach Burke and I, um, our, our equipment director, Christian white, and we would just, we would all be in there and we'd have music going. The, the guys would just, it was a very free, open, fun space. And like the AD came over and he's like, Matt, do you guys like, how do you guys ever get any work done? And we just kind of laughed it off. 
but then from there, I, I built these relationships with these kids. And another thing I say in that article is, is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's just that was always my goal um, was to to build build those relationships. And then uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that I can tell you who the first player I told was. I, I have I have a pretty good idea, but uh, one of the players was in my office one day and we were just we were discussing some some real life stuff. And, uh, you know, one of the hardest parts for me to deal with was when they would ask me about their relationships or I'm sorry, my relationships. I was always involved with theirs. Like I was always like, Hey, how's baby girl doing? Like, what are you and baby girl up to tonight? Um, that was something that I was, you know, that's, that's important to college kids is those relationships and important to all of us. And, and so I wanted to make sure that they knew that they could talk to me about anything that they wanted to talk to me about. But anyways, I had, I had a certain player in my office and, uh, I just, I just kind of came out with it. He was having a rough, rough time and, uh, was, was worried about a few things. And so I, I just kind of came out with him to almost to try and relieve his pressure, relieve what he was going through. And, um, he was, he was supportive. He, uh, he's a very intelligent kid. He, he immediately kind of got emotional to, to uh, start discussing, uh, he just hated that I have to, you know, live, the, live the life that I was trying to live. You know, he hated to think that he didn't understand how I had done it this long and how I was going to try and do it any longer. And, um, you know, I, up on my uh, board behind my desk, I would always write certain notes up there and quotes. I'm a big, I, I love words. I love lyrics. Um, I love quotes and one of them, my, my favorite one of all time is, is a quote, uh, beauty in the struggle. And, uh, from that, that player and I had such a connection at the time that he, he stopped in the middle of all this and kind of like, you know, dried his eyes and whatnot and said to me, he's like, Matt, is that what beauty in the struggle is? Is this, is this what you're fighting? Like, is this your beauty in the struggle? And I, and I told him, I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. And it was pretty amazing to me that he was able to connect those dots himself of, uh, what that meant. Um, I wear a gold chain that has beauty in the struggle kind of engraved on it. And it's, uh, it's something that, uh, it's just brought me peace and power throughout the years. And, um, through that conversation, he, he, he got up and gave me a hug. We hugged it out and, um, he's been really supportive ever since. And for me to get positive reactions from him, then I started to move to other players, you know, whether it was, I got guys overseas. I, I got a guy in the G league. That's as good of a human being out there, um, as you can be. And I just started to reach out to the ones, uh, based off of my relationships and, uh, it just kind of snowballed. And did it get easier from there? I mean, I don't think you're going to ever get a, as profound a story as one you just told, because I mean, that kind of says it all, but are there other others that, that stand out to you when telling current former players of yours? Um, you know, there was, there was just always, there was a, there was a handful of guys, my guys that I wanted to tell. And, uh, one of, there was, uh, both of them were on this team this last year, but, I didn't want to, we had a heck of a year from a basketball standpoint and not in a positive way. 
Um, we, we had two players quit the team. Um, we had a coaching change in the middle of the year. And uh, at that time, our interim, they made a, a promotion to interim head coach. And, and the coach I was talking about before, Coach Burke, got um, bumped up to interim head coach. And we were on a 12-game losing streak at the time. We went and we got a big win against the uh, the reigning champs of the league. And it was just, it was an emotional freaking roller coaster. And so For people part of me. If you didn't, we didn't mention it before. This is UNC Wilmington. Yep, way. UNC, UNC Wilmington, UNCW, yep. Should have yep. mentioned. CAA, I did work at Drexel a little bit, so I know the CAA Okay, a little bit. you're familiar. I am familiar with a lot of these conferences, as I basically had to be in order to not sound like a complete dope when I was doing soccer. But, I mean, you, you, when yeah. you follow college sports, and I follow college sports pretty closely because, you know, it, it's addictive. You can't get when you're done you know, you can never get, you can never get through with it, especially after you go to school and people tell you, I know I'm a huge Maryland fan. I love everything, Maryland sports. And I've gotten used to learning a lot about all these random schools. Towson, of course I did games at Towson. So CAA familiar with them. Um, yeah, but I, I know, I remember seeing this difficult year. And so, I mean, that has to make it all the more emotional for you. Yeah. Because at that point, when you get a coaching change mid season and the guy, you know, is the interim head coach, you, you have no idea what's going to happen next. And yeah. this is before, you know, bleep hits the fan, so to speak, in all the other respects. For so sure. that makes sure. it even tougher. And that adds another dimension to telling these players because you don't know where you're going to be in a week or two. Right. In a situation like that. Right. And, and I also was just, I was concerned about some, all of their well-being. Like, I didn't want to, this thing was on fire. And like, I didn't want to just throw my stuff on top of it. And so there were some of the guys I, that definitely deserved to know sooner than what I did tell them, but I held it just because I wanted them to worry about basketball and all the other things that they were going through at the time. Um, but, but then I did get, when the season ended, I did get around to telling those guys. Um, I didn't get an opportunity to tell every player on the team, um, and the uh, COVID virus had so, uh, something to do with that. Um, but, but the guys that I built strong, strong relationships with, and, um, you know, they, each one kind of held it differently. One of the, one of the guys, uh, we kind of just like, we're on a walk one day and I told him about it and he was like, he turned to me and was, was genuinely excited, excited. Um, you know, he, he had a lot of positive things to say about it. And, um, it was just, it was, it's just been amazing to see the different reactions that I get. And, um, you know, everybody says something or asks something different about it, but it's been nothing but positive so far. I got a couple of ones from your story that I want to ask you about specifically. Uh, the first one was when you talked about one player and you said you're lying five times. Yeah. What was that? Is it one of those where, like, they can't imagine gay people as anything other than, you know, I'm saying this, and it's not, not in malintent, but I'm saying this as how most people perceive gay people from the way that gay people are portrayed in media, et cetera, et cetera. So you hear you're lying because you can assume guys like you, basketball coaches, straight passing in air quotes, uh, they, is it one of those things like, how could you be gay? There's, there's nobody like you out there. Yeah, it, it was that. It was 100% that. And then it was mixed with, I have been around you for three years. I have watched you for three years. Like I have like, 
I know you, you know me, we tell each other everything. Like I said, relationships are important to me. And, and these guys, they do, they know like me more than probably anybody else I know. They know more about me. They know my family. They know my family by name. My family knows them by name. You know, it's a, uh, we, I've, I've worked hard to create a, a family culture, at least around me and, and my guys. And so it was, with that particular guy, it was part of it was like he was he was just 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 trying to realize that I, I wasn't kidding. I don't know if he thought I was kidding or not, um, but, you know, I, I kind of had to reassure him just because, like you were saying, some people, you know, just they assume that, like, you can see this and like, you know, I just don't see it. Like, well, you know, well, it depends. We can see it. Right. We have the ability to see it, but they might not. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's been one of the, the hardest parts of, of all of this is because you, you kind of grow up and as you're growing up, you, you, you are like piecing yourself together. You know, you are who you actually are, but you're also like grabbing onto like things and attributes and, um, you know, activities and ways of life that you just you grab that stuff and make it a part of yourself and in hope of being able to continue to hide this secret. And then you do, you do get to this point that you're out publicly to everybody. And now you kind of have to like go back through that and you have to like, okay, this isn't really who I am. I was just pretending at this. Like, I don't really actually like this or I'm not interested in rap music, like, which is not true. I love rap music, but you know, I figured that. Yeah, but which but you make a good point of disentangling like what part of me was a shield to deflect away from exactly really going on. And yeah, I have to ask you, is there anything specific that you have gone back and looked at in your own introspection that you've realized? No, that was a bit of a shield or this. No, this is genuine. Was there anything if you've gone back and you looked at it that surprised you to figure which was more genuine, and which wasn't? Yeah, no, to be honest, I've like, you know, I had that 11 hour drive the other day and uh, from North Carolina back up to Pennsylvania and I did some soul searching and I just, I really haven't been able to, to pin like one independent thing. Now I, I, I'm sure in moments I like said something or, you know, I, I definitely throughout high school and college a little bit, I would, I would date girls or act like I wanted to date girls or, you know. Um, flirt with girls and like that was complete bullshit like I'm wasn't interested in that at all um, but you know there hasn't been you know as far as like a specific attribute outside of that that I've been able to narrow down just yet so I have to ask now that you've come out publicly what made you say okay I'm gonna come out during the midst of a global pandemic couple weeks after I lost my job and I legitimately have no idea what my future is because I went to thinking to people, thinking to myself, like, okay, how many people are actually going to come out in sports during a time when there are no sports going on? So to see a story like this went, wow, th this is profound at a time when I wasn't expecting such profundity because there are so many other things that are more important, quote unquote, at this moment. So what yeah. made you decide, okay, I got to do this now? Um, so I think the process started a while ago, I had, I had talked with my parents and, uh, talked at the beginning of the year about doing this. And there was, we, we just came up with a bunch of different reasons 
of why it would probably be better to do it at the end of the year. And then from that standpoint, like I I tell people, I, I have really, I have two reasons. And the first reason is because it's time. Like it, it was just time. Enough was enough. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of hiding it. I'm tired of acting one way that wasn't necessarily the way that I am. And, you know, it just, uh, I, I make the joke. I'm not getting any younger. I'm not getting any better looking. Like I better like figure this thing out now while I got some hair and like I can, you know, got some time. And so that, that was one part. And the other part was, you know, I just, as I kind of tried to make it sound in the article, um, you know, nobody in our profession, like I should rephrase that no one on the men's side is publicly out to my knowledge right now, um, of, uh, of basketball. I, I mean, I can't think of anybody players or, or, uh, I mean, there probably are, but I'm not, I'm thinking just D one. I can't think of anybody. And, and so that, yeah. And so that was kind of out there too, that like, you know what it is, it's, it's 2020 and the world is a different place than what it was just 10 years ago. And in a time of such great uncertainty, like, you know, maybe I, I convinced myself that maybe this is something that like, as I'm going to apply for jobs, hopefully more jobs come available that, you know, this definitely makes me different. Now, my different might not even get me in the room, so to speak, when I'm applying for a job, but I might, maybe I'll get lucky, you know, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll hit home with somebody because even though there is nobody out, like there's, there's coaches that have had families that have kids that have brothers that have sisters that have aunts that have uncles. Like there is, there's people that have been, that have relations to gay people out there and, you know, maybe I can find that specific person that is willing to, you know, hire somebody based off of like what their resume is and what they can do for a program, not who they re- who they lay their head down to at night. And uh, it was it it might backfire, but it was just it was a risk that I was willing to take. And um, I just I did feel like. I said this before and I'll say it again. I just felt like at this time the juice was worth the squeeze. Like let's let's figure this thing out. Like let's let's roll the dice and see what happens. I think some places honestly, you know, they'll like to they would like to have somebody like that on your staff because then, you know, you could go through anything. I've I've said this about other sports and I'll say this about this too. It's it's like you talk about going through adversity with teams all the time, right? It's a great buzzword in press conferences that every coach has used probably far too often. Absolutely. Going through adversity, I mean, you've gone through more adversity than any team could ever go through in any one year, even if they're going winless. You've gone through more adversity than that in your life. So if you're able to deal with this kind of adversity, you can deal with any kind of adversity. I, 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 I've said that in, in phrases like related to hockey. I've said, you know, there's always talk about toughness, and toughness is related to all these things that aren't really tough. And everybody talks about the mental game, and I always said, if you're able to survive being gay in a sport – where there is absolutely no one and the pressure is on you all the time and you are fearing for your own safety in many ways. If you can survive that, then you can survive anything. It's, I guess, a little bit different in basketball. There's more people publicly out in basketball than there are in hockey. But still, if you can go through that kind of adversity, you can just legitimately go through anything. 
Yeah, Matt, I like what you're saying. I mean, I might need to, once I get this thing figured out, I might need to hire you as my publicist or oh, something. Gee, and I I've can, had multiple we people can... say that to me, and I would be a terrible publicist. I'll no. do play-by-play -play of your games. That I can right. do. I can do that, but the pu publicity, I'm not, I'm not too good at that. I'm, I'm, another, I'm too blunt for that sort of thing. All right, we'll, we'll go with the play-by-play -play thing. I mean, you know, we'll... We'll we'll find an angle to work this thing. We'll get together on this. Okay, that I'm I'm definitely okay with that, and I'm still unemployed too, so I could like jobs, and I would definitely like money in my bank account. I have to ask: Is there anybody you heard from in the last three or four days from the response to your story where you went, "I can't believe I just heard from this person"? I always like asking that question because I think when you ask people, like, who do you hear from? I mean, you could hear from a lot of different people, and there were people that I heard from when I came out that shocked me. And there, I've heard that from a ton of different people. Is people you come out and you never know who you're going to hear from, because it always yeah. you have just how small this world is. Was there anybody you heard from that you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I just heard from them? Yeah. Um, so before I got to Wilmington, I was at Youngstown State in Ohio, and my head coach there retired, and they hired a new coach, uh, Jared Calhoun, and. Um, he, I, I, I was well liked at, at YSU and I, I was hoping to be able to stay on his staff, um, when he got hired and, and he just, you know, went with, with anything, you have your own people. And so he had his own people and he didn't keep me. And, uh, you know, so I, I, it looked, it worked out. I ended up at UNCW and it was good. Well, I, I haven't talked to coach Calhoun other than that one time, you know, in my entire life. And uh, when, when the article came out, I think on Friday, he, he sent me a text on Saturday and uh, was just ultra supportive and said, hey, like, you know, I, I can't imagine the type of bravery that that took. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really proud and happy for you and um, best of luck going forward. And I just that that one really surprised me. Definitely. Um, just because, you know, for I think that speaks to him. Um, for him to take the time to reach out to somebody that he, he doesn't know me at all. Uh, and that, that was meaningful. Um, I heard from, uh, Kurt Miller from the, uh, WNBA and said so many positive things. I mean, he, he kind of proved to me what a, what a small world this really is. And just, just to hear from another male in basketball, I mean, he's, He's on the women's side at playing at the highest level, but he's gone through exactly what I've gone through. And just to hear from him was, was really, really meaningful. We, we exchanged some messages and, uh, eventually he, uh, even gave me a cell phone number so that we can talk in the future. Um, and that was, that meant a lot. And then, uh, probably the one that most shocked me, uh, I don't want to say this young man's name, but he was a former player that uh, left the school that I was at. And um, I, I tried really hard to build a relationship with this kid. And some days it was really, really good. And other days it was really bad. And it was just, I think him and I, we, we bumped heads, we clashed, we had similar personalities, we're both ultra competitive. And uh, we both showed immaturity at times, him and I. And so we, we kind of left the thing on bad terms. Um, we didn't speak. Uh, I, I hadn't, I hadn't connected with him really all season long. And when the article came out, he, uh, he was one of the 
first few people to send me a text message. And it was this big, long text, um, kind of like saying how he was really happy for me, really proud of me. Uh, he kind of made the initial apology that if, if he had ever said the word gay or used it in the wrong way, like he, he didn't mean it in, in that sort of way. And, uh, you know, and just also, he just, he's for nothing else. He extended the olive branch first and, it was just amazing to me that we, him and I were able to go through, you know, the ups and downs of our own relationship. And then by me sharing this, this side of me, like he showed more maturity than, you know, I think I would have been able to even show. And so I, that one really caught me off guard. And, um, with that relationship, I wouldn't have ever expected that, but it, it meant a lot. And, uh, he's, uh, he's gained it and, an ultra amount of respect for himself in my book. Mm -hmm. There's going to be, a, I would assume there are going to be more coming because the, the world is small, but also I think people recognize that this is a struggle that if you can overcome any sort of struggle, people are going to respond to it in a positive way. And this is, this is a struggle that people overcome. And I think for a lot of them and for a lot of people, even if they have it tangentially, like it might not be directly related. This might be the first person you might be that is gay in a lot of people's lives you know right you don't know where that you don't know how they have experienced the community through whatever they've gone through and what their perceptions are and i think that's another thing like you've brought the experience of you and by virtue a lot of other people who have had similar experiences to you directly to these people who may have never experienced something like this before in their lives or seen anybody like that i've always i think it's important to say like when we talk about issues in broad terms People don't usually think in broad terms when we talk about the issues of LGBTQ people. I say it comes to home when it's somebody really close to you and somebody that's definitely really, you can put a name and when you can put a name on it. So if it was instance of using language in, in the heat of competition, of course, you've probably heard people say stupid things during the middle of games. But if you then say, OK, that offends gay people or it offends people like that. OK, that's one thing. But if you said, oh, if, if for some instance you heard a slur from one of your kids or somebody else if they said oh yeah. that, that hurts matt that's a different yeah. story entirely yeah you're, you're right on it you definitely are and personalizing it i think is is something that that's what these stories do because for yep. who know and you talk about relationships you have a gigantic network of people who knows how many people have never experienced something like that so closely connected to them in their lives before so as uh, with a lot of us right now in the world uh, as it continues to collapse because of the, you know, global pandemic and apocalypse, you don't have a job right at this moment, but you don't, no one really knows where this is going, of course, because March Madness was axed and all of this was axed and we don't know how many coaches are going to change positions in an average year. You get a ton, but who knows? This is not an average year. So how do you keep yourself uh, going? Because obviously these are really uncertain times for everybody, particularly for you, but in many ways, you probably have it maybe a little easier now because one part of your life that was so decidedly uncertain for so long is pretty certain now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's these past few days have um, been amazing. And, uh, you know, to to read, uh, I was hopeful for, you know, positive support from people that I know in, in my inner circle. Um, I wasn't ready for the emails, the messages, 
the texts from people that I've just never even met before. And so these past few days, I've, I've really tried to reach back out to those people and let them know that I saw what they said and um, just, you know, thank them for for supporting me and taking the time to reach out to me. And, um, you know, I, I welcome that as as this all continues, because that that gave me uh, some purpose for a few days. And now it's just like it's back to square one. Like I'm, I, it's, it's kind of funny here. I am 10 years later, like I'm back, I'm back exactly, exactly where, where I was, I was before. before. Um, I'm in my I'm parents' house. house. They're kind of looking, looking at me, at me like, like, you know, you know where, where are you going? going? Are you going to start applying for jobs? Like kind of that. And uh, it's kind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to coach. And, um, I got to, you know, start connecting those dots again. And, uh, it will be a little bit easier this time around. I can tell you from, I won't apply for jobs that I know I shouldn't be applying for, but, uh, I'll well, probably you're start just a... coming out of college. Of course you apply to jobs. You shouldn't be applying yeah. for everyone does that. I did that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I went excessive with it. Like I, like me applying to be an assistant at Missouri. Okay. Like, you know, but you I help to have optimism. Yeah. You know, well, I have optimism. I, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. It, glass half full. Like I oh, was fired up just to see a glass. I'm not glass half full with sports. I mean, I I just have one Maryland basketball game where it goes somewhat south, and then all of your optimism goes away immediately. But yeah. I try not to. In situations like we're in now, I try to keep somewhat of a level of optimism because if you don't, I mean, then you're gonna truly drive yourself insane. You can't do that. At, at right. Time. So, so. Other than obviously the job hunt, which we all wish you very great success in, and we, I know you're going to get a job. This is not going to be, this is going to make it easier for you probably because people, as I talked about, if you go through adversity and again, you can back it up a lot more than, you know, the average coach speak of adversity now. And I think a lot of people want that new experience on their staff and new perspectives, of course. So what's next for you in terms of trying to support the community in your own way, in basketball specifically, because there aren't a ton of people out in basketball. It's not zero. It's not like my other favorite sport, hockey, which yeah. that is absolutely zero. Well, it's not absolutely zero, but it's like three to four. And in yeah. basketball, you have at least more people. So what do you see your role as um, in, per, in trying to push the community forward in the sport of basketball specifically? Yeah, I, I just feel that it's important for like the first step of now this kind of newfound journey I'm on is for me to secure a job because it's, it's important for me to continue to be out there and be visible. And so wherever I go, I, I will, will push to, um, you know, maybe try and have like a pride night or something of that, you know, any university I go to, I will go very, very first day. I will go to the LGBTQ, office um you know on campus and introduce myself and just make it known that i'm there and make it known that i'm available and um that uh as well as you know doing this podcast has been a great experience i've i've talked with jim at outsports a lot about just you know um you know being involved there however i can i mean he was quick to say hey this article was fantastic why don't you write another one and i'm like jim i don't know I need a little time. Like I'm, I don't know what I would even write about or how to write a, like, you know, this one was, I, I gained a newfound respect for anyone in journalism or writing 
um, that, that stuff is not easy. And, uh, so I, I will never say another negative word to a sports information director as long as I am in this business. I mean, um, because, well, also it's very interesting because they're writing press releases and I can yeah. tell you as somebody who likes to write and I find writing comes natural to me, press releases are horrible. I hate writing. Just, yeah. just looking at what you have to read, it's almost as if like I would just copy paste half of it. Yeah. Like, there's no creativity. There's no, ugh. you know. Yeah, I, I, I feel bad I, for them, and I'm I'm gonna support you guys. Well, that, um, again, it's experience. You know now because yeah. when you probably sent that first draft over to Jim. I mean, it it didn't look anywhere near like what it looks like now because people. I always, again, it's one of the things that I had to get used to. It's just writing comes naturally to me. It's something that I can just do and put something down, yeah. go 45 minutes and write, and that's the end of it. But for other people, I mean, it's a struggle. So, yes, I completely understand that. And if you don't want to write, don't worry. Somebody else might be able to write for you. There are yeah. people out there who are good at it, and I can write something for you if you need to. Don't All worry. right. There we are. Back to the publicist. I like it. We're going to figure this thing out, you and I. Oh, boy. Well, I'll try. I'll try. I'll, I'll have to tell my friend who uh, also has said, you should work with me as your publicist. I said, no, don't do that. That's a bad decision. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to laugh with him about that, but I can help you with writing. I can help you with editing. That's not hard. So, All right, I appreciate do you have it. Any, do you have any last uh, words uh, on your experiences and what you've gone through and what you want to leave people with? Um, just that probably that it, it takes time. And I, this is, it took me to this, this point, it took me to 29. Um, I've received a couple emails of, of guys that are in their fifties and sixties. And, uh, just, you know, some guys just came out, other guys are still struggling with it. And, uh, everybody just, everybody is going to go through this process on their own time. And I just would love to, to make it aware that, um, to anybody listening that is struggling with it, um, you, you can do it. Um, you can make it. And uh, I'm here to help you however I can. You, my, uh, we can put my contact information wherever we need to put it. But I, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook now. And uh, I'm, I'm here. If you use Facebook? I didn't. But, uh, well, since yes, the because out- you're 29. You're young. I know. I I deleted mine in college because my buddies were tagging me in things that I knew would keep me from getting a uh, coaching job one day. Ah, so I deleted that's very it. Smart of you. That's very smart of you. Yeah, yeah. I told you. I I've known what I was doing since day one. I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I've known. And uh, well, I do so, remind you that the internet never forgets. Those things are somewhere. I know. I know. Well, please don't search for that. Like, oh, please, yeah. How would please I just able to find it. Yeah. I'm just saying everybody else too. Don't, don't look for my history. Like most just, people, just most people don't want to do that. Right. Although, yeah. although I have to be honest, there are people on Twitter who are terrible and they might do that. But in this instance, I can, I can say if you want a picture of someone with a beer in their hand, it takes five seconds to look that up. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. On, please. Right. Right. So, I usually offer at the end of every show a chance for people to plug themselves, but you already basically did that. So yeah. uh, unless you want to give people specifically your handle so they can find you easily, more easily. Uh, uh, at Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H, five underscore, at Lynch, five underscore. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody that is uh, got positive stories, negative stories, needs help, just needs a buddy to talk to. I'm there for you. 
that's what we like to do here. And thank you very much, Matt. An incredible story, incredibly profound, I think. I've, we've, I've done now, this is the ninth episode of these, and I like to keep things light. I like to joke around a little, but these stories here were, were much more profound than I think many of the ones that I've heard. And you've ta talked to some pretty influential and some pretty amazing people, but the stories you've told were, were really deep and really interesting. And Again, congratulations on what you've done, and good luck to you in your job search. I don't think you're going to have problems uh, finding someone uh, to take you on at a college near you, wherever that may be. And also, you're going to be very, very excited to see what you were able to do with this community because everybody brings a new perspective, and yours is going to be a great one. So again, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, be well as best you can be in the times when the world is falling apart. But uh, yeah, we'll put it back together again. We've done this before. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it and stay healthy.